Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. We're starting a new series this week, and if you haven't paid attention, we've been doing eight-week series to kind of align ourselves up with our eight-week uh, 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 groups that we have, our life groups. So we try to put those together so that during the week we can actually discuss what we're talking about on Sunday. We can come together as, as a body of Christ. We can come together in small groups and say, hey, man, how do we apply this word? How do we apply the word that was preached on Sunday? How do we actually make that a part of our life where it can be life-changing? So the new series that we're starting is called God Given, Taken Back, Stolen Ground. And uh, for the next few minutes, I just want to share and I really was wrestling this week with what I was going to share and how I was going to share it. And I had another direction I was going to head, but I really felt like I needed to do some groundwork before we start this series. And, and it's a series that I believe will challenge us from living a spiritually lackadaisical life to challenge us to be more intentional with what we do. Amen? Today I felt compelled to begin this series with a theological truth that everything that is good is God-given. Everything that is good is God-given. And let's begin with a question. And because I just want to have some fun today as we walk through, because the, 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 the message, I think, is going to be challenging, challenging us. But let me ask this question. Have you ever been robbed? Has your house ever been broken into? Has your, maybe your car has been broken into. Maybe your identity at one time was stolen. Maybe on one of your trips where you were traveling, someone pickpocketed you. I know Annette and I have had different experiences through our life where our cars have been broken into. And, and uh, I've shared about one of those incidents uh, as an illustration here at church. And, and uh, one time I remember when I was a youth, uh, I was working at a pizza parlor and I was a, the cook and late at night all of a sudden this young gal comes in and 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 robs our store with by gunpoint and you know that's kind of a life-changing experience for for a person when you all of a sudden you have that experience and when Annette and I were first married we we bought a home I think we we're three years into our marriage this little 1150 square foot three-bedroom house and we thought we had hit the jackpot and and it was just wonderful and it was awesome and and during that time we traveled a lot we were on a tour business and we we travel around the country so we were gone for extended periods of time and one of our trips someone broke into our house they threw a big rock into the sliding glass door in the backyard threw it so hard that it went into our kitchen wall, put a big hole in the kitchen wall, and they, they were going to rob our stuff. They got interrupted. My brother was coming over to mow our yard, interrupted them. He didn't even know that they were there, and, and he didn't see them leave. He just saw the damage that they had done. So we came home, and there was a big four-by-eight piece of plywood over the glass, and there was this big hole that was going to have to be fixed. And I remember the feeling as we walked into the house, it felt like we had been violated. Uninvited guests had come into our house, and they were rummaging through our things, and they had violated our lives, and you felt frustrated and angry and fearful and helpless, and maybe you've had a similar experience. Maybe you've had something stolen from we from you at one point in your life where all of a sudden, man, you feel like someone violated you. We don't forget those experiences because many times 
they will change, they will, they will cause a reaction in you that is life-changing. You don't think of things the same way. You're more cautious about different situations, more weary about different situations. You become a little bit more street smart. You're more aware of the surroundings that are taking place. And we do that in a physical way, but so many times spiritually, we don't. Spiritually, so many times, we just kind of walk through life and don't pay attention. And I, today's message is, want, I, want us to, I want to challenge us that we need to be more aware of what's happening around us. Jesus shares in the parable of John chapter 10 about the good shepherd and the sheep. It's about having awareness and knowing the shepherd's voice. It's an illustration that would have been very relatable to his audience of the day because they all understood sheep. They all understood that the sheep were, 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 were animals that had to be protected because otherwise the wolves or the bears could attack and could steal the sheep or, that, or people could steal the sheep as well because they were valuable. They were also endangered of themselves as sheep are not the smartest animals on the prairie. They, they just aren't. They can get easily lost and find themselves in trouble. And isn't it ironic... Now catch this, don't be offended, okay? But isn't it ironic that Jesus compares us to sheep? I don't know how to take that. But you see, Jesus knows that we are spiritually lost without him. That we have no hope without Jesus. That if we are left to ourselves, guess what? We're in trouble. He knows that we need a shepherd. It's the whole story, the whole parable of the good shepherd. In that parable of the good shepherd, Jesus reminds us of a very important truth, and I've shared this truth multiple times from this platform. I share it again with you today, and I want to dive into it a little bit deeper, but it's from John 10.10. It's tucked right in the middle of the, of the story of the good shepherd. And I encourage you, if you haven't read that story, I encourage you to read it. But listen to this verse. It says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus gives us two opposites. There are no similarities between Jesus and the devil. They're going in opposite directions. They are polarizing forces. Notice, in the, notice the fourth, fourth word in this sentence, only. The thief comes only, the thief comes only, say that word with me, only. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He has no other purpose. He, he has no other purpose but only to ruin your life. He has no good intentions, no good motives, no good desires. There is no good anything in the devil. He only comes to destroy your life to believe anything else is foolishness. I don't know that you could ever say it any clearer than what Jesus says it in this scripture. Where he says, the enemy, the devil, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. In these few words, Jesus explains your options in your life. You can either allow the thief to steal, kill, and destroy your life. Or guess what? You can choose to allow Jesus to give you an abundant life. During a staff meeting a few months ago, we were talking about in our staff 
uh, we were just discussing the many, many challenges that we face in today's culture. And we were talking about the many challenges that our children and our youth and our young adults, they are facing more challenges today than, than I think in any time in history, our youth and our children and our young adults. The enemy is trying to steal so much from our families, for, for so much from, from his people. How he's robbing people of hope. In fact, Annette was sharing as I picked her up. She, I was home all last week by myself. I don't know if you can see. I'm, I'm kind of a little malnourished right now, and a lot of in and out, and yeah, Taco Bell. And anyhow, all week long. And so she came home last night about 10:30. I went to the airport and picked her up at the airport, and and she was sharing with me that on their way to the SeaTac airport. Brittany and who were driving, and they were crossing over the bridge where there's Elliott Bay there, and all of a sudden, there were three lanes over, and they see this youth who is on his bike, and he had stopped, and he's standing on top of the rail, ready to jump. They're actually seeing it. And they called 911. There's a person on, and they called 911, and they got hold, and they finally got, and the, the lady on the deal said, everything's okay. There's two people that are with him. They're actually holding him right now. But what brings a person to that place in their life where they're willing to all of a sudden jump off a bridge to end their life? It's hopelessness. And the enemy is trying to to rob us of hope. The enemy is trying to rob us of our identity, trying to steal our marriages, steal away the truth that we have in life, trying to rob people of their health. It's amazing to me that there's so many people that are doing self-inflicting wounds on their body. Different things that are taking place. The idea that people don't have identity anymore. I don't understand that thought. People think that success is rich wealth. They've lost what true success is. The joy of family. The joy of life. The joy of a relationship with God. Ultimately, the enemy is trying to rob people of receiving salvation. The enemy wants to rob you of your God-given blessings. That's the series we're talking about. Those things that God has desired for his children. As a culture, we've allowed the enemy to take a foothold in too many areas of our lives. And we're going to talk about over the next eight weeks, how do we gain back some ground that we've lost? ground that has been stolen or, or the enemy is trying to steal. We can't sit idly by and just watch the enemy take what doesn't belong to him. Amen. And I'm not saying that we're going, to, we're going to go out there and not be loving because we're called to be loving. But there's what's called a righteous anger. And the righteous anger is pointed towards sin. It's pointed towards those things that can destroy your life. It's when Jesus went into the temple and he saw all of a sudden the money changers at the temple and they were trying to profit off the things of God and he started throwing over. It wasn't because Jesus was angry at the people. He was angry at Satan. He was angry at the devil, the enemy, who is trying to distort the things of God. This is supposed to be a house of prayer and you have turned it into a a, a den of thieves. And that's what can happen if we put our head into the sand and don't understand what the enemy is trying to do. I know many people don't like to talk about the devil. We don't want to talk about the enemy. Pastor Tom, I don't like difficult messages. I came to church to hear a positive message. If I'd known you were going to preach on the devil, I could have stayed home and turned on the TV and got a really good positive message. So why won't you tell me next time you're going to do this? And I understand that. 
there's times where I just prefer just a good message that's positive and uplifting, and I hope this will turn that direction for you today, because I believe it will. But here's the problem. If you preach the Bible, at some point you're going to have to talk about the devil, unless I don't want to preach the Bible. Satan, Lucifer, the devil is mentioned 80 times, over 80 times in Scripture. Over 60 of those times he's mentioned in the New Testament. And over 30 of those times he he is mentioned or referenced by Jesus himself. Jesus references our enemy. Jesus very clearly warns us that the devil is real and wants to destroy our life. The devil is not a figment of our imagination. We might not want to think about it. But just because you don't want to think about it doesn't mean that the devil doesn't exist. Have you ever seen a little kid in fear or a little kid all of a sudden something takes place and all of a sudden they just cover their ears? You know, because if they cover their ears, they don't hear it doesn't exist. Well, sometimes as Christians, we do this. Where we need to take our hands off our ears and say, hey, you know what? No, no, no. I'm going to fight back. Not in my strength, but in God's strength. See, I'm not saying that we should live in fear because God has not given us a spirit of fear. But we need to live mindful of our enemy. We can't just live with our heads buried in the sand. Peter writes these words in 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The whole story of the Bible is good versus evil. That's the whole story. Good. It's like Star Wars. You know, it's good versus evil. Of course, when you read God's word, you know that how the story ends, right? The goodness of God wins. Say, say aloud, amen. The goodness of God wins. But does the goodness of God win for you? Have you embraced God's truth over your life? Have you made God's truth your foundation? Have you accepted God's promise as true for your life? Or are you choosing to believe the lies that come from the enemy, the half-truths that appeal to your sinful nature and not to your godly nature? Are you allowing the devil to steal away anything that is God-given, that God desires for your life, that he intended for your life? Are you allowing those things to be stolen? The Greek word that Peter uses in this passage of Scripture is diabolos. Diabolos is where the Spanish word diablo originates. And listen to the definition of this word. It's it's a false accuser, a slanderer, one who unjustly criticizes to hurt and condemn for the purpose of severing, for for the purpose of severing a relationship. I'm going to read it again because it's really important that you grab a hold of this. The definition of that word is a false accuser, a slanderer, one who unjustly criticizes to hurt and condemn for the purpose of severing a relationship. The devil wants you to believe the lies that he creates so he can rob you of the destiny that God desires for your life, a personal relationship with God. That's the first thing I want to talk to you about today that is God-given. The only way that you can have a relationship with God is because God loved us first. And he sacrificed his life for our sins. And that is a relationship that God wants to have in your life. It's probably the, it's the most important relationship. It's the most important thing of your life. And guess what? The enemy wants to steal something that God has given to you. Now, he can't steal that. It's impossible because it's God-given. But 
guess what? He can rob it from other people that, who haven't accepted Christ yet. Or you know what? You can just put your head in the sand and all of a sudden you just wake up one morning and you're like, what's going on in my life? God desires a personal relationship with you. It started in the Garden of Eden and it continues today. Every person must make a choice to either believe the word of the Lord or believe the lies of the enemy. Notice that Peter uses the word adversary to describe Satan. Your adversary, the devil. It's a legal term that describes someone who's opposing you. It's the, it's the idea of a prosecuting attorney who's trying to make you guilty of your crimes. He's trying to oppose you. He's trying to find, state a case against you in such a way that you're going to be found guilty because of the law against you. His plan, the devil, his plan all along is to tempt you with sin. Just as he tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, as he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, he brings temptation into your life. He's your adversary. He's your accuser. Have you ever lived under condemnation or under the weight of sin? Anybody? Well, let me tell, let me tell you my story. Since no one else would want to raise their hands today. When I was a, I think I might have actually shared this story before, but when I was a young lad, a young kid, 10, 11 years old, maybe, maybe eight or nine years old, probably a little younger, eight or nine years old, I was at my grandpa's farm, Grandpa Wells, who lived in Toppenish, Washington, up north, and he had a great farm, and uh, me and the cousins would always love to go over to the farm and we'd play. And we'd, there was a huge haystack on his farm. And I remember that we'd get up on that haystack because you know how like, the haystack goes. You can climb up and we'd get to the top of that haystack. And, and uh, on top of that haystack was like a, a big sheet of visqueen or a, a, a tarp, a heavy tarp, that they had put on there to keep the hay dry. And they put these old tires on there to weight down the, the tarp so it wouldn't blow away. And me and my cousin Herbie, yes I had a cousin named Herbie, me and my cousin Herbie, I know it's an unusual name, uh, we were up on that haystack and we were, we took all those tires and we built in a fort. We put it all, you know, well we didn't understand that the tires were there for a purpose. We just built a fort. And we had a blast and we came down from that, from that haystack and, and we were running around and one of grandpa's hired hands told grandpa that hey all the tires got moved the hay was going to be getting wet and what, what's going on and and then grandpa approached I remember he approached me and Herbie were you guys up on that haystack playing around were you guys moving those tires no grandpa not us <laughs> no grandpa it wasn't us I mean Grandpa was this guy that he said very few words probably my entire life he said maybe a hundred words okay he didn't say a lot no, Grandpa, it wasn't us. He loved us dearly. We knew that, but boy, he, whew, yeah. And it was interesting that he never asked us a second time. He just walked away. You know, as little kids, whew, we, man, we escaped that one. That was good. Whew, barely made it. As I got older, I realized that Grandpa always knew it was us. He always knew that it was us. And I remember going home from Toppenish back over to Edmonds, Washington, where my family lived. And we drove. And this is before the internet. This is before really, you know, you could just hop on a cell phone and call. And, and, you know, and I remember getting home and I felt so guilty to lie to my grandpa. I felt so condemned. And I remember it, it, it caused this rift between our relationship because I knew I had lied to my grandpa. 
See, I wish at that point he would have, he would have forced me to tell the truth because the, the, the guilt of my sin was killing me. You see, our enemy, the devil, wants us to live under a weight of sin. He wants us to live in bondage where we run away from the truth. He wants to bring division between us and our Heavenly Father. It's from the very beginning of the time, and it still is happening today. He wants to break our relationship with God. Just like the lie I told that brought division between me and my grandfather, the devil is using sin to bring division between you and your Heavenly Father. And it's a trick of the enemy. Just as the serpent tricked Adam and Eve in the garden, just as the devil tried to trick Jesus in the wilderness, the devil is trying to deceive each and every one of us all the time. He's trying to make us to think that sin is okay. Why? Because he wants to rob us of the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. And if that is left unchecked, guess what? Eventually it will destroy your life. This is what Jesus is warning us in the parable of the Good Shepherd. And you can read it for yourself in John 10. The enemy is out to deceive you, to distract you from the truth. And throughout history, there have been worldwide beliefs and systems that have been put in place that claim the truth, but they only serve as a distraction from the real truth, which is Jesus Christ. Remember Satan's temptation in the garden was to offer Adam and Eve a way, an alternative way, a way to be just like God. That by eating of the fruit of the tree, guess what? No, it's going to be okay. Guess what? When you eat it, you will know both good and evil. You will be like God. That you will no longer, the idea behind it was that you will no longer need God. You could serve yourself. You, you could serve yourself. You, you could be your own God. And this has been the consistent game plan of the devil. To deceive man into worshiping anything but the true God. During Jesus' temptation, the devil promised Jesus to give him, and you can read it for yourself in the Bible, the devil promised Jesus to give him the kingdoms of the world if he'd bow down and worship him. Of course, Jesus couldn't because it's not his nature. He, he just can't. It's not in his nature. Jesus was perfect and sinless. But if we choose to believe the lie of the enemy, then we, then we allow the enemy to start taking ground that God desires for our lives. The Garden of Eden was a God-given blessing for Adam and Eve. But that blessing was removed from their lives because why? They chose to follow the lie of the enemy. And the thing that I want to share in that part, part of that scripture, that to understand what took place in the Garden of Eden, what did they really lose? Yes, they lost the garden. But what did they really lose? They lost intimacy with God. They lost relationship with God. Bring me back to the garden. Bring me back to that first place where I first found Christ. See, through our life at times, we just keep traveling along, traveling along. And if we're not careful what happens, the enemy just keeps putting things in our path where all of a sudden we start losing that relationship that we have with God. Remember the scripture I started with today. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. The goal of the devil is to rob you of a relationship with God. But look at the second half of that verse. What is the goal of Christ? That they may have life and have it abundantly. That's the message of the New Testament. Is that Jesus wants us to have life abundantly. And I want to close with a passage of scripture from the Old Testament. 
And I got a little extra time because I, I had some time stolen from me today. No. And I hope this scripture brings some reassurance that God is for you and not against you. And I really want you to understand that God is your defender. Say that. God is my defender. God is my defender. It's a passage of scripture found in Zechariah. And Zechariah was a prophet of God. And in his book, he shares all these different visions that he has that are God-given. And this vision is where he has a vision of Joshua, it's also Joshua, who is standing before the Lord, being accused by Satan. It's an interesting passage of Scripture. We're not going to dive into all the details, but I want to share. I just felt so compelled to share it with you today. It's in Zechariah chapter 3. We're going to read the whole chapter, verses 1 through 10. Follow along with me. Then the angel showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, the accuser, Satan, was at the angel's right hand making accusations against Joshua. And the Lord said to Satan, I, the Lord, reject your accusations, Satan. Yes, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. This man is like a burning stick that has been snatched from the fire. It's, like, it's the idea that he was right there at, at the gates of hell. He's right there and he's been snatched away. Joshua's clothing was filthy as he stood there before the angel. So the angel said to the other standing there, take off his filthy clothes. And turning to Joshua, he said, see, I have taken away your sins, and now I am giving you these fine new clothes. Then I said, they should also place a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean priestly turban on his head and dressed him in new clothes while the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord spoke very solemnly to Joshua and said, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. If you follow my ways, do we follow after Jesus, and carefully serve me, then you will be given authority over my temple and its courtyards. I will let you walk among these others standing here. Listen to me, O Joshua, the high priest, and all you other priests. You are symbols of things to come. Soon I am going to bring my servant, the branch. Now look at the jewel I have set before Joshua, a single stone with seven facets. I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and I will remove, this, I will remove the sins of this land in a single day. This is hundreds of years before Jesus. And on that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, each of you will invite your neighbors to sit and you will peacefully under your own grapevine and fig tree. The reason I share this passage of scripture with you today is to show you that God has always had a plan to defend you. He has always had a plan that he wants a relationship with you. The enemy is trying to destroy that relationship, but Jesus is there to defend you. The vision that Zachariah had is a court of law where Satan is the accuser, and he's accusing Joshua and the children of Israel of their guilt of sin. But in verse 2, you, you see that it takes place in verse 2. It says there, we see God rejects Satan's accusations. He rejects them. I hear your accusations, Satan, but I reject them. What takes place is amazing. Zechariah has seen a vision of Joshua's sinful nature being removed and replaced with God's righteousness. Why? Because Joshua had put God first in his life. 
It was a promise given to the Old Testament believers who put their faith in God. It would be accredited to them. Righteousness would be credited to them. Even though Jesus hadn't come yet, their righteousness would be credited to them. And look at verse 8. You are symbols of things to come. Soon I am going to bring my servant, the branch. Who's the branch? Jesus. It's the, it's the foretelling of the words that Jesus shares in, in, in John chapter 10, verse 11, the very next verse that he shares in this. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. See, Jesus was willing to give his life so that we could all remain in relationship with him. See, your relationship with God, and I want you to never forget this, is God-given. It's God-given. Why is that so important, Pastor Tom? Because if it's God-given, it can never be taken away from you. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you choose to follow Him, it doesn't matter what happens around you. It doesn't matter what's happening around the world. Guess what? Your relationship with God is God-given. It's not built on anything that you have done. It's built on who Jesus Christ is. It's built upon his death and his resurrection. It's built on the blood of Jesus who was sacrificed for our sins. The blood came down on that cross. And guess what? When we put our faith in Jesus, that relationship cannot be broken. The devil has no authority over your life. So stop giving the devil any authority. Make a stance and say, no more. No more do you have any right to any of these things that you think you, that you have right to. No, 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 no. Guess what? I serve Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the living God, and He has died on the cross for my relationship with Him, and you have no right to anything that I have. You got, we need to start declaring it over our lives. See, we have been given the righteousness of Christ. It's God-given, and no one can take that promise away from you. Let's walk in that confidence. Jesus in John 10 declares an abundant life, an abundant life over those who follow the good shepherd. It's time to start living an abundant life. Come on, amen? It's time to start living with God's abundant grace. It's, start, it's time to start living with abundant joy, abundant peace, abundant hope, the abundant blessings of God. It's time to put a halt to the enemy's plans and start living life as God intended us to live. A life that is protected by his righteousness. I share all this today because over the next seven weeks, we're going to talk about different things where the enemy has tried to steal from our lives. And how we need to take back that stolen ground because it's not his, it's ours. Amen? It's ground that God desires for you to possess. How do we combat the enemy, Pastor Tom? Not in my power, not in your power, in Jesus' power. It's with God's power that we combat the enemy. You might be here today and you might be just thinking, man, Pastor Tom, tough message for my first time here at South Coast Christian. <laughs> But maybe you know you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe your relationship is just super cold. 
kind of like me and my grandfather after I told him that lie, I just never felt quite the same. Because I knew, you know, I, the reason I tell you that story, let me share something with you. Grandpa died when I was very young. I was like 10 years old. That probably happened when I was nine, nine and a half. I never make, got to make that right with my grandfather. And I felt like that relationship was hurt because of that sin I committed. See, Jesus never wants that in our life. He wants us to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. 1 John 1, 9, He gives us an out. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, that's our hope. Our hope is in Jesus. Today, I pray for each and every one of us that we will take back any ground that we've given. Take back what the devil's trying to steal. And maybe your relationship has kind of been stolen and you need to make that right. Today, guess what? You can make that right by just confessing. The first way we make things right is through repentance. One of the healthiest things that I've in my life is when I know I've done things wrong. It's not just to brush, I've learned this from that age of 10. It's not just to brush it underneath the table, but it's to make a choice. Lord, I'm going to repent. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my wrongs. Because I know He is there and He's ready and he is willing because he wants nothing in between our relationship for some of you today maybe that's your first step and at the end of the service we're going to go back into worship today but if at the end of the service any of you have never made a choice to follow Jesus come on down to the front Pastor Tom you don't just come on down the front we're going to have some of our leadership myself if you need someone to pray with you we would love to pray with you today and just lead you in that prayer of salvation amen God good? All the time. He is faithful. He is true. He is just. Will you stand with me today? Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you that, God, you desired a relationship with us. And that, God, that relationship is God-given. Help us, Lord God, to honor that relationship. Lord God, help us, Lord God, to protect. We can't protect it. You protect it. But, God, help us to live a righteous life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources. For more information about South Coast, including service times and ways to give, please visit southcoastchristian.com. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. Thanks again, and may this week be filled with new opportunities where you can receive and share God's love.